Sunday evening, coming right from Burlington, Vermont, you're in Amit's house on WBKM.org. Well, good evening, everybody, and there we are with Big Joe Turner playing some jazz for us, some very hot jazz fusing right into the very early days of rock and roll. It's part of what you'll get here in Amit's house each and every week, that diversity. And tonight, uh, jazz is right on the center of the table once again. We have a night of jazz here as uh, following Amit's house, Baruch and Paradigms is going to have an incredible conversation and really fantastic music from some folks uh, who just came out with a uh, album celebrating the life and the music of the genius of jazz himself, the one and only Mr. Louis Armstrong. And so I thought, why don't we look back in that uh, big time capsule there to that incredible time when we got to speak to the one and only uh, a great American storyteller, documentary filmmaker, Ken Burns. So we're going to mix in some new music. We're going to listen to that interview and uh, freshen the whole thing up a bit. It's going to be a very exciting night of jazz here. Focusing on Pops himself. So take your shoes off. Take your hats off because this is a special place. It always is. It always is because whatever we do, if you're in Ahmed's house... I know it's going to be a special night. Mr. Dave Brubeck is going to kick us off here with the music. Let's take five. <laughs> oh boy, don't we need to. I'm at house, WBKM. Burlington's kind of music. <laughs> Thank you. 
I'm Mika Ertegaard, and you're listening to WBKM, where you can hear the music of Atlantic Records. Atlantic Records was started in Geysers through the years by my late husband, Ahmed Ertegaard. there from Miles Davis, Moon Dreams, certainly uh, makes, us, uh, makes us see it in our, in our mind's eye nonetheless. Dave Brubeck starting us off tonight in Amit's house, Take 5, famous uh, tune of Dave's, probably his most singularly famous tune, but a great catalog from uh, Dave, whose, whose days are now over on this uh, side of uh, the realm, his work... Uh, there for us to enjoy. Study, but don't study it too hard. Don't overanalyze it. And uh, right in the middle there, Art Blakey. Nice, juicy piece there. Crooked smile. All right, well, as I mentioned uh, earlier tonight, uh, a singularly uh, delightful treat. Uh, right uh, on uh, in Mardi Gras week, uh, on uh, Fat Tuesday, I had the chance to speak with historian, document, documentary filmmaker, one of America's great storytellers of all time, Mr. Ken Burns. What did we talk about? <laughs> we talked about jazz. Hey, good evening, everyone. Hey, as a, a lover of uh, life's great stories, it's a privilege to have with us today uh, from his uh, New Hampshire office. Historian, uh, America's uh, modern-day storyteller. 
jazz biographer. And right here on the Mardi Gras week, uh, welcome to Ahmed House, uh, Mr. Ken Burns. Thank you so much for having me, Tony. Oh, what a what a joy, what a pleasure. Ken, we've enjoyed uh, as a family uh, and uh, with friends uh, watching uh, the, the jazz series uh, numerous times. So many amazing stories. You seem to like to undertake these enormous projects. Uh, you've got baseball, the Civil War, jazz. What motivates you to, to, to take on those kind of projects, and then in particular uh, the jazz project? Well, you know, in documentary, more often than not, folks are telling you what they think you should know about. The last time I checked, that's homework. But I always like to make films about uh, things I want to know about. And the biggest question animating me is, who are we? Who who are these strange and complicated people who like to call themselves Americans? And what does an investigation of the past tell us not only about where we've been, but where we are and where we may be going? So accidentally, you end up breaking off these large chunks because they're the most revealing. The Civil War is the most important event in American history. Baseball is our national pastime and the only art form uh, created by Americans and recognized throughout the world. We have lots of other crafts and art forms that we've done, but the one that's recognized around the world is this magical music called jazz. Now, I was born in 53. I'm a child of uh, R&B and rock and roll, and uh, my dad played some jazz. I listened to it then. I ran a record store in the late 60s and early 70s before I went to college and knew all the stuff, but it wasn't until I started becoming a filmmaker and started to try to find a soundtrack to cover the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, and the 60s, but I suddenly realized that my repertoire wasn't very wide, and it certainly wasn't very deep, and that jazz provided both that depth and that breadth, and so I've embraced it wholeheartedly, not just to make the film, uh, but to make many films before it and many films since. And I guess that, you know, I had a question that I was going to ask you later, but I think you hit upon that. You know, the way in which... Um films to a filmmaker or to a documentary, uh, a biographer, how they change you. And from little things I've read, you know, your your involvement in jazz um, has probably changed you as a, as a music listener. Just no, 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 no question about it. You, you never answer that question, who are we, but you deepen it with each one. And what jazz provided was one of the deepest wells we've ever pursued, where you just felt you could just keep going down and down and down. And it inspirits me. It changes me. It, it, it rearranges me, as all great art does. You can't stand in front of great paintings without having your molecules rearranged. You can't stand uh, in front of, you know, great theater or read a great literature. You can't listen to great jazz music without having it transform you always for the better. And that inspiriting uh, is what it's all about. You know, us human beings like to live in a very simple, rational world where one and one equals two. But what we actually want in life, in our faith, in our friendships, in our other relationships, in, in, in our art, is for one and one to equal three. And man, that's happening almost every moment of jazz. You know, uh, during uh, during watching uh, the, the show uh, this last time with a friend of ours, a music lover, um, you know, there's so many wonderful stories. And we started to take notes because since the, uh, the time that uh, the series uh, first aired uh, to now, um, we sort of wanted to, to catch up on what had happened to some of the folks that were making commentary um, from uh, uh, the critical perspective, uh, writers, uh, uh, historians uh, about jazz. And, and then the musicians themselves. And shocking to see how many, even in just this small amount of time, we've lost. Um, it must, you must look back and say, my God, what a, what a privilege to have captured perhaps some of the last comments uh, from some of these folks about what they did. That's really, really true, and and there was an urgency as we began to think about it and talk about doing it uh, during the 1990s when a lot of people were dying, and I remember speaking with Winton, and he had this kind of uh, just that sense of absolute anxiety and urgency about what we got to get going. At the same time, and, and you're absolutely right, the passage of time has been merciless to so many people, not only that we interviewed, but are people who are part of the jazz um, canon that, that we all need to know about, we all need to continue to listen to. But this is also one of the strengths of history. You know, there was nobody alive on the Civil War, and we got make that come alive. There were very few people in the early decades of baseball that were still around. 
and um, to me, the most important people in jazz music uh, were already gone by the time we uh, began uh, working on our series, and that would be, of course, Louis Armstrong and Sidney Bechet, Duke Ellington and John Coltrane, Miles Davis and Count Basie, uh, Billie Holiday, um, you know, Ella Fitzgerald was ailing. I mean, it was and, and would die, we unable to interview. So we were able to nonetheless still do justice to these, the Mount Rushmore, if you will, the pantheon of jazz speakers, uh, even without them, because A, we have their music, most important. B, we've got photographs. C, we've got some old um, movies. Uh, and D, we've got uh, people who played with them remembering who they were. And you can use all of those to triangulate in a way that would be real nice to talk to Louis Armstrong. Uh, but to make him come alive with his own music and the photographs and the, and the movies and the, and the remembrances um, is a task that I think we are equal to. And, and you know, I, I count my whole life as a human being as before Armstrong and after Armstrong. <laughs> Just understanding that, you know, he is the most important person in music in the 20th century. And you know I didn't say jazz. Yeah, I said yeah. music. Yeah. I mean, he is, he took this... He took this ensemble music and turned it into a soloist art. He invented swing. Um, he reinvented singing altogether. Uh, and, you know, he is to music what Einstein is to physics, what Freud is to medicine, and what the Wright brothers are to travel. This is a, he, he just offered a quantum leap, and everybody including Miles Davis and John Coltrane, mm-hmm. uh, Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie, all of those folks that, that are the very, very best, understood how seminal Pops was. Mm. That, that great uh, quote, uh, as simple as it is, uh, as beautiful, it's beautiful, that great quote of, of Crosby, that American music begins and ends with Mr. Louis Armstrong. Yeah, that's exactly right, an emphasis on Mr. You know, we always say he comes down to us as Louis Armstrong instead of Louis, and he comes, you know, down to us as sort of a transformer of popular tunes like Hello, Dolly, and It's a Wonderful World, and The Big Grin, but you, you mean, you're, you are looking at Albert Einstein and Sigmund Freud and, and Orville and Wilbur Wright right there, and that guy. Oh, my goodness. And and that, you know, that brings me to, uh, to certainly, you know, uh, Mr. Armstrong, let's only just call him that right now. Um, it brings me to, to that kind of question. You know, that, that, that beauty, you know, that look, when you close your eyes and you see uh, those big eyes of his uh, looking up uh, to heaven for for inspiration or for or for pleading. Uh, how long do I have to put up with these people? Almost it seems like that angelic thing, that mythology. Was was Lewis an was was Lewis Armstrong an angel? Was he real? Hey, you know, it's interesting that you say that because nearly everybody we talked to in the film, uh, whether it was a critic, and as you know, jazz critics can't agree on anything, um, historians, uh, people who played with him, uh, people who knew him, casual observers, almost every person would say that he was a gift from God or an angel. And, you know, after a while, you begin to notice this, that, that in a contentious world of jazz where there is so much fighting among the jazzerati about, you know, who's good and who's not good, who's included, what is jazz, what isn't jazz, all that sort of stuff, a lot of noise, frankly. Um, it was interesting that there was this unanimity about this one person. Obviously, they spoke about his centrality in, in jazz, but but this adding this extra thing that we had to understand, whether it was Gary Giddens or Louis Armstrong or somebody who worked at the at the Armstrong House in Queens right now, or it was you know other critics, other historians. And I, in the course of my travels promoting jazz in 2000 and 2001, I came across this woman who, for lack of a better word, let's just say, is a psychic. So I told her this. I said, everybody keeps calling him an, an, an you know a gift from God or an angel, and she closed her eyes, spread her arms, and said, "Biggest wings I've ever." seen. So I'll just leave it at that. That 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 the that the rational world uh agrees and so does the supernatural world agree. Oh, that just leaves me with goosebumps because then Well you know what it is it here's 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 what it means to you, me and anyone listening to us. That is if you live a good life you may have a chance to hear Louis Armstrong blow Gabriel out of the clouds. <laughs>
No one ever played it better than that man right there, the great Mr. Louis Armstrong. Not recorded on Atlantic, but when you talk about jazz, I mean, you talk about uh, influences that shaped the course of Ahmed and Nessui Erdogan's young life, you have to talk about Mr. Louis Armstrong. Part one of our uh, interview there with uh, Mr. Ken Burns, we'll, we will have uh, the second half of uh, just about equal length uh, in a few minutes, taking some time out for the music. An all-jazz show tonight as uh, we celebrate a chance to uh, have a conversation about jazz with Mr. Ken Burns. <laughs> Mr. Armstrong. I can't wait to find out. Uh, I'm not in a hurry to get there, but uh, it is going to be one of the first things I try to inquire about on the other side. Angel, or mere mortal, mere beautiful mortal. Don't know. Back to the music. We're going to play a little uh, Coltrane, Milt Jackson. Bags and Train, they call them. Right about here in the middle of Amit's house, it's called, appropriately, Centerpiece. WB. <laughs> Thank you. 
right, singing the blues till my daddy comes home. Big Spider Beck. Um, and, and you can't separate uh, jazz and blues uh, very far from each other, as uh, really uh, the blues that was that uh, African American hybrid, uh, which uh, gave birth to uh, the very American jazz. Big Spiderbeck, uh, one of the uh, one of the stories uh, in in Ken Burns' great jazz uh, series that uh, I think most affected uh, myself and and our family. Um, uh, right, uh, right on up there uh, with uh, with some of the other more touching stories. Uh, Big Spiderbeck uh, never getting the approval of uh, of Daddy. His father uh, so disapproving of his uh, playing uh, that music for a career. And uh, never got to show him how brilliant and talented he was, losing uh, Mr. Beidebeck at a way too young age. Here we go then, uh, part two of our interview with Mr. Ken Burns, continuing to speak about jazz, having just picked up from uh, the part of our conversation about Mr. Armstrong. Let's talk about Mr. Marsalis right now. What do you say? Ahmed's house, Mr. Ken Burns, part two. <laughs> well, you know, that beautiful, and, you know, to talk a little bit of, uh, in, in the time we have uh, about Winton, about Mr. Marsalis, and that great thing, that that great connecting influence, that, that you go very far uh, around the jazz world and talking to a lot of people, and Winton always just seems to come in. You brought him in at the right time, always, I think, and certainly... Um, his, his musical chops and his, his ability to speak so intelligently and fluently um, about his career, about his music, and about how he's tied into its history makes him perfect, of course. But that thing that he says in the last, uh, uh, the last two-hour segment, that thing that his great-grandmother said about uh, there's a blue mm-hmm. there's a kind. Yep, yep. <laughs> there's blue with after it smacks you hard. She's there to say it's okay. It's all right. going to be all right, son. I have that quote on my door of my office. Um, you know, Winton, Winton is an often controversial and um, and criticized figure in jazz because he understood something hugely important. That as jazz moved into the avant-garde, into the formless and shapeless, that it lost, it, it had the possibility of losing touch with where had it come from. That experimentation just for the sake of experimentation isn't art. It's just as as Albert Murray, one of Wynn's teachers, says, you can't, you know, it's, it's entropy. You can't embrace the wave in the ocean. It, it passes you by. And and he wasn't dismissing, you know, Ornette Coleman. He wasn't dismissing that. He was just saying, we are in a situation where this music used to be 75% of popular music in the United States. Now it's down to 1.5%, and most of it is middle-aged white guys. What's happened to this music? And part of what he's done at great sacrifice, I believe, is to go and sort of collect the threads, to remind us where we've gone. And this is a hugely important thing. This is what I do in my life. Nowhere near as importantly as Winton does, no, with nowhere near the intelligence and the, and the artistry that he does. But it's this sense that, yes, we can go forward. Yes, we can be in love with this tweet or that technological invention or this media culture thing or this celebrity or this bold-faced name, whatever it is. But we also have to know where we came from because if you don't know where you've been, you can't possibly know where you are and where you're going. And Winton has seized on this with jazz. And he's not said, don't experiment. He's just said, know from where your experimentation is coming. Let us go back to Sidney Bechet, to Buddy Bolden, for that matter. Let us go back to Louis Armstrong and Duke Ellington. Let us understand Count Basie and Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald. Let us then understand why Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie happened. Let us understand why Dave Brubeck and, and Cool happened and why Hardbop and all, all of those came in and why Miles Davis was who he was, why John Coltrane became what he was, and even what Ornette Coleman became. And then let us all then, from the perspective of the past, understand and come to terms with the music that we, we go. And then right then, you're back at Armstrong. Armstrong said there ain't but two kinds of music, good music and bad music, and good music you tap your feet to. And what that does is it liberates the rest of us. You know, a lot of people who are the sort of the keepers of jazz now are jazz snobs. They want to make you think like you need to have some advanced degree to understand jazz, some, you know, some secret handshake. There's nothing. Well, you, it, it's back 
talk to Armstrong. If you like it, then it then you like it. Right. If you don't like it, then you don't like it, and that's all there is. And it's true of almost everything in literature, in painting, in movies, in music of other kinds. That's what it is. We no one should be intimidated by jazz music just because. For the last 30 or 40 years, it's been the province of some balding middle-aged white guys who, who sort of want to show off for their colleagues and their girlfriends that they know the second session man on the third day of recording and why didn't Burns put that in his film or why doesn't Marcellus talk about this. The fact is, is that jazz is now less than 1% of the music in this country. And, and, and the only way that changes is to remind people of the birthright of it. It's like a national park. Yeah. Jazz music is a national park, and if people don't go to it, if people don't uh, demand that it be taken care of, then it atrophies. And jazz music, you don't want it to be just the music of the academy. It has to be what what, what Winton does every night at Lincoln Center, yeah. is turn it into this vibrant, alive thing that swings. Yeah, because it's not an oldie thing, you know, and boy, what you hit on there is, is really the central theme of why we do this program, why it's called Amit House, and why we celebrate these people. There's, there's no such thing as oldies. They're gone. They're not dead there's two, it's the No, no, no. There's, here's, here's the thing. There's, there's no such thing as oldies because you combine two great things. One is art, which you've already acknowledged is durable and lasts, you know. Beethoven is still art. Mozart is still art. Bach, and I'm going back centuries now, right? So this is art, and we recognize it. And the reason why we know this is because it's played, but more importantly, we have mechanical uh, reproduction. So not only do we have sheet music that permits us to interpret Bach and to interpret Mozart and to interpret Beethoven, but we can actually, with jazz, hear Louis Armstrong play. We don't have to play the sheet music of it. We can hear him do... West End Blues, we can hear him do Potato Head Blues, we can hear him do that incredible, just fiery St. Louis Blues, we can hear him sing uh, and, and, and play and, and scat in Ain't Misbehaving, sampling um, Rhapsody in Blue as he does it. You know, I mean, it's it, we have him, we have Armstrong, we have Ellington, we have Basie, we have Holiday, we have Gillespie and Parker and Davis and and uh, my good friend Dave Brubeck, let me rest in peace, and, and John Coltrane and, and Ornette Coleman, all these people, they exist, we have them, and we have it exactly the way they wanted us to hear them. Now, would it have been nice to be in some club with them? You bet. But having that, having that record, having that CD, having that you know, MP3 of of the greatest music that Americans have ever made, that ain't bad. What a joy, huh? Just what a joy. Well, geez, I thank you so much uh, for your time. I thank you for this uh, this beautiful thing that took you uh, many years. How many years did it take you to complete <laughs> Well, you know, but we were, we were, it was helping make baseball come alive, and I realized that baseball was the sequel to the Civil War mm. because the first real changes in race took place with Jackie Robinson, and then I realized that jazz was completing a trilogy because we kept using it. But all my life, I was just, I felt, how this is America's music. I'm, I'm trying to understand America. How come I don't understand this? So it took us more than five and a half years to make the film. Oh. But... Uh, it, it was many, many more years in incubation and, and until I was ready for it. And a lot of it was born in a conversation I had with Winton in the early 90s where, you know, I gave a speech about the Civil War and we just sort of hit it off and he started talking and he said, you know, and I said, yep, I know what you're about to say. And I said, I want to. And he said, that's good. You come to me. I'll help you in any way you can. Mm. Yeah, hats off to Winton and hats off to yourself, Ken, for, uh, uh, for, for continuing it. You know, it, it's about the past, but it's about our future. Yeah, it's all, it just keeps going. You know, it just lives. The, the strength of this music, the art of this music, the fact that we have it, means it's anything but old. It's actually contemporary, and it might actually lead to the future. It might help us. You know, I mean, that, then it goes back to that paddle uh, that, that Winton's grandmother was talking about, that there's a, there's a, there's a board for every behind that's going to come up and, 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 and paddle you, and when you feel that at your lowest point, then Louis Armstrong's there to say, hey, it's going to be all right, and it is. And this music, I mean, I've been in dreadful times, and I put on Louis Armstrong strong and it changes me i mean we've got a single cd from our all you know the 26 records that we put out connected with this and there's a five a single volume thing and there's a five volume thing and there's individual artists where we're able to actually accumulate their best of not the best of on one level on one label or one decade but the best up i just put on the lewis armstrong and all of a sudden i'm a better person <laughs> 
Well, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, you know, I mean, boy, what the heart and the soul of, uh, of that gentleman gave us. Um, and, and outside of music, you know, what it brought to us all. The ability for yep. blacks and whites to sit in a room together where they had nothing in common, except all of a sudden they had that in common. And then, and then what that means is they had everything in common. Exactly. You know? And then you start to speak, and then you start to find out that you have the same cares and the same difficulties and the same joys. Yep. The same worries and fears in your life as I do in mine. Maybe certainly no, no same, no similar, but ultimately the same. Ultimately the same, and that's the gift of art. And that's the gift of communication, is that we suddenly realize it isn't red state or blue state. It isn't north, south, east, west, rich or poor, black or white, young or old, male or female, um, gay or straight. It's humanity. Yep. And when you have painters or writers or performers or jazz musicians that remind you of it, then you're, you can have your molecules rearranged too, and it can change your outlook on life. Then that person that's other is you, hmm. and you are the other. And that's, that's, that, that makes for a better world. So much more that keeps us uh, together. So much more yeah. that makes us the same than makes us dissimilar. And of course, it's more of an exciting story about what makes us dissimilar. When the guy that blows himself up in front of, uh, you know, in front of an embassy or something, but you know, that's that's not. Well, that person has not listened to Louis Armstrong, that's for sure, and has never seen that glorious, beautiful golden face. Yep. Uh, you know, because boy, oh boy, that straightens you right out. You know, boy, can I live my life like that? Can I? That yep. puts me back on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yep. Well, Ken, thank you so much for. It's your... been my pleasure. Thanks so much. Oh, I bet. Uh, hey, man, thanks uh, again. Uh, hopefully, uh, we're not that far away as neighbors. Uh, when you get anything like free time, which might be in the next sometime in the next century, uh, we'll get together. And uh, I think I think sometime in the next century, there's some free time. We have got too many too many projects we're working on. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Tony. I really appreciate it. Oh, uh, thank you, sir. Hey, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Ken. Thank you. Take care now. Tony, back with you here in Amit's house as we're just about ready to wrap up. I really want to thank uh, Ken Burns for uh, joining uh, us uh, in that uh, conversation uh, from his uh, office in uh, Walpole, New Hampshire, not that far from uh, Burlington, Vermont, really. Many thanks also to uh, really to uh, all of uh, the folks that helped make it possible to uh, get together in really a relatively short time after I, I made the request. Uh, my thanks uh, going out uh, in particular to Elle, who uh, uh, was uh, right there and uh, helped orchestrate the timing and the adjustments needed to uh, to uh, Mr. Burns' schedule to make it possible to have that conversation. We hope you enjoyed it. A privilege, a total privilege, uh, to talk to uh, a gentleman as learned as he on this great, great subject. And I think maybe the best thing out of that whole interview is that is that is that notion that we don't uh, ostracize people from jazz. By overcomplicating it, by overanalyzing it, by by over overly uh, um, critiquing it, let's just uh, apply Mr. Armstrong's uh, method of uh, deciding whether or not it's good or bad, huh? One more tune to get us uh, get us home tonight before Baruch comes in with paradigms at the top of the hour. It's a place where jazz, blues, and rock and roll all meet up. Project of Amit's that I've been playing uh, some pieces of uh, in the last uh, couple of weeks. Amit, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, lots of great folks in here. Brian Setzer. The Honey Drippers. I get a thrill. Oh, we get a thrill. Each and every Sunday night at 7 o'clock. Join us and we'll share the thrill of this great Atlantic Records catalog together. Right here in Amit's house. Have a great night.
our show for this evening. Please be sure to join us next Sunday at 7 p.m. when we'll spend another hour together in Amit's house. Amit's house is a production of WBKM, Burlington, Vermont.